This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today. We likely have some watching today for the first time, and we want you to know we're delighted that you're watching Getting to Know Your Bible. Today on our uh, telecast, I have a, a, a subject that I'm calling Back to the Spring. Back to the Spring. You say, well, where did you get that out of the Bible? You'll just have to stay tuned to find out. Now today, we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course, and I want to say that it is absolutely free. We want you to have it in order that you might know more about the course and that you might know how to receive the course. Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'd like to read now from the book of Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, and verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. I want to emphasize the statement, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old Paths. There was a spring discovered in a certain location, and that spring was found to have certain medicinal qualities. People who would go and immerse themselves in the water of that spring would learn that it would help in certain ways of the, uh, in their physical, with their physical ailments. Perhaps they had arthritis hurting them and they would bathe in those waters and it would help them. And there were other ways that people were helped. People were flocking from everywhere to, uh, to the spring and they were bathing themselves in it in order that they might receive the help from it. Someone began to think, since so many people are coming to the spring to, to bathe in its waters, why don't I build a store? They'll always need something to drink, something to eat, so I, I'll just build a store. And so he did. Well, it wasn't long until there was another store that was built. And then another and another. And someone came up with the idea of building a house there. It wasn't long until there were a number of houses surrounding the spring. Eventually, there were large suburban neighborhoods surrounding the spring. And there was a town that sprung up around the spring. 
Some years later, someone came to the location of the spring. They had heard about its medicinal qualities. And they wanted to bathe in the waters of that spring and see if they could find some physical relief. And they came to the town that now surrounded the area where the spring had was. And they asked someone on the street, can you tell me where I can find the spring? They said, what spring? Oh, you know, the spring that you can bathe in, it can help you physically. They said, we don't know anything about that. We haven't been living here very long. Maybe if you went down to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, they might be able to help you with that. So they found the Chamber of Commerce, and they went in, and they explained what they were searching for. And, and the young lady behind the desk said, you know, I, I remember something about that. And I believe that at one time there was a spring here and that people would come from all over to bathe themselves in the waters of that spring, but let, let me do a little checking and see if it's still here, if we can find it. She came back shortly, and she said, yes, the spring is still here, gave directions as to how to find it. And soon the people came to where the spring was located. There was a fence around it. But it did not appear that very many people had been visiting it lately. But they went in and they bathed themselves in the waters of that spring and they found a great deal of relief. You see, what happened is that the people forgot the reason that they were in that location and a town had sprung up around that spring. Houses had sprung, businesses were there and they forgot the very thing that they had to come to that location uh, in the beginning. You, you know, there, I think there is a lesson in that for us, that sometimes we forget the intent of certain things. And as it were, we have to go back to the spring. Go back to the spring. Go back to where we were in the very beginning and see how things were at that point. Suppose men ceased to play the game of baseball for 150 years, but someone learned that there had been at one time a game played like that. How could men begin to play the game of baseball again? Well, they'd just have to go back to the spring, wouldn't they? They would have to go and find a rule book pertaining to the playing of baseball. And if they could just follow the rules that had been given to them, well then, you see, they could have baseball in the world again, even though it had not been played for 150 years. You see, what they had to do was to go back to the spring. Suppose someone were to discover the remains of Noah's Ark. Now there are some who think they have and some think they, they will and, and I understand that. But suppose it's confirmed. Suppose it should be confirmed that someone has discovered the remains of Noah's Ark. Suppose they wanted to, to see if they could build that ark and restore that ark to its original condition. 
Suppose they wanted to build it and make it look like it did when Noah built the ark. Well, now, how do you suppose they're, they're going to do that? How would they go back to the spring? Well, I suggest that they find out how Noah built it. And in order to do that, you would have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter, where God gave Noah the instructions for the building of the ark. And if they were to follow the instructions given to Noah about its length, about its width, about its height, about the rooms in it, and the like, then they could very well restore the remains they have to what the ark must or possibly look like in the very beginning. But you see, they would have to go back to the spring. Suppose the church ceased to exist on earth for 200 years. Just suppose that were to happen. I don't believe it ever will, but just suppose that it did. And one day someone finds a book that's called the Bible. As a matter of fact, on the front of it are the words Holy Bible. And as they begin to read that book, they find the word church in that book. And the first time they'll find it in that book is in Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 18. And they learn from reading that book that saved people composed that church. Now, there's not a church that's been existing on earth for 200 years. But now they have found a book that talks about it. How would they restore the church of the Bible in the world if it had not existed on earth for 200 years? Now think with me. Is it not logical that they just have to go back to the Bible, that is, go back to the spring, and, and go to the book that tells you everything that you want to know about the church? And then you could have the church and reproduce the church in the world, even though it may not have existed on earth for 200 years. You see, that goes back to a statement that Peter made in 1 Peter 4 and 11, that if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. We just have to go back to the rule book, to the guide that we have, and that's the Bible. Now, if we were to go back to the Bible in an effort to restore in the world the church we read about in the Bible, what would we find? Well, first of all, we would find that its beginning was predicted. For example, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, th th these words are found. And in the days of these kings, the God, a God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. So there's where its beginning was predicted. Then in Isaiah, the second chapter, verses 2 and 3, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Those verses tell us about the beginning. This is the prediction of the beginning of the church. According to Isaiah, it would begin in Jerusalem. According to Daniel, it would be in the days of the Roman kings. And it was in the days of the Roman kings in Jerusalem that the church of the New Testament had its beginning. That's recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the first recorded gospel sermon under the Worldwide Commission. The people asked what to do to be saved, and he told them to repent of their sins, to be baptized, that their sins be remitted. And the Bible tells us in verse 47, the Lord added them to the church. So if we were trying to find the church in the Bible, we would see that its beginning was predicted. Secondly, we would see that its builder was specified. We will read in Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. So Jesus said, I will build. I would understand that to mean that it's yet in the future when Jesus said that. And that Jesus said, I will build my church. That's just one. You see, at that particular time, there was not a denomination in existence. It did not exist. Jesus simply said, I will build my church. So Jesus is its builder. So we go back to the Bible. We're trying to restore the church in the world. And now we see that its beginning was predicted and its builder was specified. Now a third observation is that the bedrock foundation was laid. Upon what is the church built? I want to read some passages to you that I believe will help us to understand that. First, first of all, from 1 Corinthians, the third chapter and verse number 11. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So that passage says that Christ is the foundation of the, of the church. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. Now in Matthew, the 16th chapter and verse 18, when Jesus made the promise that he would build the church, this is what he said. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Some mistakenly assume that the Lord meant that he would build the church upon Peter. No, the church is not built upon Peter, but rather the church is built upon the confession that Peter made. In the 16th verse, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now the word that is translated Peter is Petros. It just means a little stone. And that is in the in masculine gender. The word that is translated rock is Petra, and it's feminine. It's feminine gender. The church was not built upon 
Petra, or rather upon Petros, it is built upon Petra. It is built upon the bedrock truth that Peter had confessed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Acts the fourth chapter and verse 11 we read, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then verse 12 reads, no, no other uh, Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. In Isaiah the 28th chapter and verse 16, this was predicted. Behold, I lay in Zion, that would be in Jerusalem, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So the bedrock foundation was laid. Jesus is its foundation. Now again, remember that we're going back to the Bible to see what the Bible says about the church. And we're wanting to see if we cannot have it in the world today. We have learned that its beginning was predicted, that its builder was specified, and that the bedrock foundation was laid, and Jesus is its foundation. Now, how did it come to be? Well, when we began to read the Bible, we learned that it was blood-bought, that it was purchased with blood. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul was addressing the elders of Ephesus, and he said to them, Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The churches was purchased, according to that verse, with Jesus' blood. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, Paul said, You're bought with a price. Well, what's the price? Blood. Jesus' blood. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Paul wrote, And your husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus died for the church. He shed his blood for the church. So now remember that we're going back to the spring. We're going back to the Bible. We're going back to the book that tells us all we need to know about the church. Its beginning was predicted, its builder was specified, its bedrock foundation was laid, and it was blood-bought. But then again, here's another truth that we learn. There was a blueprint to follow, a blueprint or a pattern to follow. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament uh, when the tabernacle was being uh, built or in the process of being built. And God gave Moses a blueprint for that. And, and, and here in Hebrews 8 and 5 is a quotation of what God told him about the building of the tabernacle. He said, See that you make all things according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount. So there was a pattern 
for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent-like structure, and they were not left to chance to build it. They were not left to their own design to build it. It had to be according to the pattern of God. Well, now the question is, when we come to the Bible, is there any kind of a pattern? Is there a pattern, for example, of its organization? Is there any pattern to follow, any, any blueprint to follow? Well, there's a very simple outline of the organization of the church in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to it. Paul and Timothy, to the saints which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. In the church at Philippi, there were Christians called saints, and there were bishops, and there were deacons. The word bishop, the word elder, the word pastor, all refer to the same office. I've seen some writings of people, and they would refer to those who were the, the elders in the church, and then they'd refer to someone else who was the pastor in the church. Well, now that's a misapplication of the terms because they refer to the same office. If you are an elder in the church, then you are a pastor. If you're a pastor in the church, then you're an elder. To be a pastor, to be an elder, to be an overseer, to be a shepherd of the flock, all refers to the same uh, group of men. And in every congregation in the New Testament, there was a plurality of those who were serving as bishops or elders or pastors. For example, in the book of Titus, in the first chapter of Titus, Paul is writing to this young man, and he had been left in Crete for a specific purpose. Notice verse 5 of chapter 1. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. There was a plurality of elders in every church, in every city. And that would prevent someone from becoming the chief elder, the chief bishop, the chief overseer in that congregation. And so God's pattern and his pattern for the organization of the church is there be elders who serve as under-shepherds, under Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, and that they oversee the flock. They care for the, and nurture the flock as, uh, as shepherds, as pastors, as elders, as bishops of the church. Serving with them, they're men called deacons, and they're not junior elders. They are men who serve alongside the elders. Some say, well, you know, the elders take care of the spiritual affairs and the deacons can take care of the material affairs. I believe that that's a, a misapplication of the work of elders and deacons. Elders are over all of the work of all of the church all of the time. And deacons should do what the elders ask them to do or assign them to do in the work of the church. Some of it may be physical, such as feeding the hungry but some of it might be spiritual in nature as well. And so you have elders and you have deacons and you have the members in the local church. That's the pattern for the organization of the church. But what was the pattern for its terms of entrance? 
Well, in John 9 and 4, we read uh, that Jesus said, I am the door. But by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. So Jesus Christ is the door. He's the door into the kingdom. He's the door into the body of Christ. He's the door into the church. And we must enter the door to be in the church. To be in Jesus Christ is, in fact, to be in the body. And in order that we might uh, uh, be in Christ, that we might have the remission of our sins, we just simply need to go back, for example, to the book of Acts. Just go simply to the book of Acts and, and start in chapter 2. Go through the entire book and find out what men and women did in Bible times to be saved and to be added to the church. In the second chapter, we learn that they repented and were baptized and were added to the church. In Acts 8 and 12, the people believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. In Acts 18 and 8, the Corinthians heard, believed, and they were baptized. And on and on we could go with all the examples of conversion in the New Testament. There's a pattern for what one must do to be saved. Believe on Christ, repent of sins, confess faith in Christ, and to be baptized. But then God gave a pattern for the way the church is to worship. John 4.24 somewhat summarizes that. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And on the Lord's day, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, Ephesians 5:19. We are to gather together upon the first day of the week, according to Acts 20 and 7, to observe the Lord's Supper. We pray to God, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. And on the first day of the week, we lay by in stores. God has prospered us. That is, we give to the Lord, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. And we continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, Acts 2 and verse 42. So God has given a pattern for the way we worship. Now think with me. We're talking about going back to the spring, going back to the Bible, going back to the fountainhead to find how God describes the New Testament church. May God help us to go back to the old paths. I want to thank you for watching today and I want to urge you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. I'm, I'm giving you a personal invitation right now to do so. And also pick up the telephone right now. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. Order it today. All we need is your name, your address, and your telephone number. The only reason we need your telephone number is in case your co course comes back. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.